Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to rate, review, and also follow us on This is a podcast about I'm your host, Kristen Bark, and I combine my own personal experience, education, and interests in health and well-being with different perspectives to bring you a variety of tips and tricks for feeling your best and living a full, healthy life. Let's get started. Hi, friends. Happy Monday. I always do that. <laughs> um, today is gray in LA. It's a little cloudy. It's a little chilly. And I'm mentioning that because my guest today lives in Seattle. So what I think of when I think of Seattle is I think of gray. She tells me that's not true and that it's maybe cloudy and overcast for a short period of time each day, but then it's sunny most of the time um, outside of that. So I need to take a trip up to Seattle and see for myself. Dave and I have always been talking about taking the train and now taking Wyland with us. I think that'd be really fun, like up the coast or something. If you have any tips, let me know. Um, I'm talking to Alexandria Yamazaki today. This episode was so fun for me from a purely selfish perspective because we incorporate wellness and high fashion. She is an international fashion model, stunning. If you go down the rabbit hole like I did of her images, they are just gorgeous. Um, But she's also really into health and wellness and has quite a number of certifications. Um, And her images on her website, her recipes are also gorgeous. Um, We talk a lot about her journey and her path to where she is now. Um, Yes, in terms of her modeling career, which I just find fascinating as a lover of Vogue magazine since I was a child and also America's Next Top Model. Um, But we also talk about her health journey and she was brave enough to share and be vulnerable with some of the things that she has dealt with that maybe are a little harder to talk about, but I think are important for anyone who may be going through something similar to hear and to hear her perspective and her recovery. So I'm really proud of this episode for that reason. Um, You know, I think lots of times we can talk about lemon water and chlorophyll drops. Um, but here we get into a little bit, um, heavier content. So also trigger warning if eating disorders are something that trigger you, um, a heads up on this episode, but loved this. We went a little over an hour. I feel like we could have talked for two hours. Um, And we're definitely going to have her back. So if you guys have any questions for Alexandria in the future, let me know and go follow her. Um, And yeah, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this episode. I enjoyed it. It was truly one of my favorites. Alexandria Yamazaki is an international fashion model that's been rooted in the health and wellness space for over a decade. She's a certified holistic nutritionist, wellness and nutrition consultant, aromatherapist, recipe developer, and is passionate about helping individuals transform their lives through food. She hopes to inspire and uplift while making everyday wellness more approachable through her recipes and daily musings. Okay, cool. I am so excited. So I I don't know why we were just talking offline a minute ago about how we kind of just 
connected naturally on one of our Saqqara circle chats. And that's how we met initially. Um, every, what, every month on Wednesdays, Saqqara ambassadors get together and have um, a kind of regroup with our with our leaders and we get to break out into different rooms and to meet different people. And it's fun to meet like-minded people. And it's always interesting to see who else is on the Saqqara train and living that lifestyle. And you and I were in a breakout room together and then just kind of continued the conversation through Instagram and now on a podcast. Um, so I have Alexandria here today, Yamazaki, and um, I'm really excited to talk to you. We have, I think, there, it's funny when I when I watch your stories on Instagram, I was laughing because I'm like, I have the same rug and I have the same morning routine. And we just are very similar in that kind of um, like mindset. So I'm excited to talk through and I get inspired by your pretty recipes. And in fact, I even I was doing Melissa Wood Health for a long time and then I kind of fell off and I was going to club Pilates and then I kept having to reschedule that and losing my money. And I'm like, what am I doing? So this morning I was thinking about you and your morning routine. And I went and I did my Melissa Wood Health workout mm-hmm. with my ballad bangles. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. Yeah, no, that's the one thing about Sakara is I feel like of all of the partnership programs and things like that, they're they stuck out to me the most because of how much care and consideration they put into connecting the community, which I think is so rare in like a partnership program. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's funny because I'm, I'm like naturally pretty like introverted and shy, which I think comes as a, a big shock to a lot of people. Cause I'm very good at like turning it on, but internally I'm like, what is going on? And usually when the breakout rooms start to happen, my like heart starts to like, my heartbeat starts to race. And I'm like, should I do this? And I always make myself do it obviously. And then that's how we met. And so yeah. I was, that's so awesome. <laughs> interesting. I, I get like that too, more in person where I'm like, I don't know anyone. Like, do I really want to go? And then I always leave feeling so invigorated and like I'm so glad I went that was so nice but like beforehand you have that like anxiety yeah exactly (laughs) I'm glad we're here and thank you for doing this on a Saturday morning too I appreciate that especially in the midst of all of your trial watching and listening I know you've been super busy with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard (laughs) oh my god gonna have to do we were talking yesterday we're gonna have to do a separate episode when it's over so that you can give us the entire rundown from start to finish and your perspective on it um because I've only been following bit by bit but I know you've been deep in it (laughs) yeah and I'm no by no means an expert in this field either but it's been yeah super interesting and mildly embarrassing to tell people (laughs) I mean it's fun to have something you know that you get excited about every morning (laughs) Oh my God. I know it's, it's like, honestly taken so much of my time and luckily there's no court on Fridays. And so I'm able to like presume my morning routine as normal, but no, lately my morning routine, I still do it, but like, I don't really practice some of the things that I preach, unfortunately, because you know, like they, they're on East coast time. And so it starts at like 6am our time, like, um, yeah. So it's like, how are you supposed to, so I have to like meditate when they take like a court break. <laughs> it's so not what I would recommend anybody to do. And so my, I'm like, I'm kind of ready for this to be done. Yeah. You need your life back. Let's cool. talk about, so morning routine. It sounds, it, it's so cliche. I think some people kind of eye roll now they're like, Oh, lemon water in a morning routine, but I can't stress it enough. Like I used to 
I lived in Philadelphia. People have heard the story so many times, but I lived in Philly. I was working for a company, a global company, and it was just 24 seven nonstop. And I'd wake up in the morning, I hit snooze for like two hours to the point where my neighbors would leave notes under my door. I lived in a brownstone so you could hear and they'd be like, can you please turn your fucking alarm off? Like it's waking us up. (laughs) And I was just like miserable. I didn't want to wake up. I had no morning routine. And you start, I would start the day in that fight or flight. Like I would wake up and everything was already a problem and it was a mess. And so I've learned how important that morning routine is. Like my day is the complete opposite. Now I get up slowly. I get up early. I get up ready for the day. I have the things that I do that I think people have heard so many times you always post and your morning routine just looks so nice. And I want to hear like what, how that started, why it's important to you. And then of course what you do, cause it's just like what I aspire to do in the morning. Well, first of all, I don't have children, so that makes it a hell of a lot easier in my opinion. Um, but basically I came to the conclusion, I don't know how many years, I think like I've been slowly starting to implement a morning routine about like five or six years ago. And I run pretty anxious already. I'm like a pretty reactionary type of person. And so much like what you just said, I would also find myself waking up already on edge, already feeling irritated, being in that fight or flight stage. And I just realize that if I don't get a hold of my mornings, then it's going to control the rest of how my day will be. And I was just not wanting to let my day dictate my life. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so a big part of that too, was not being on social media first thing in the morning. And because when I would do that, I would notice that I'm already consuming so many other people's thoughts. Like when we look at other people's stories, they're only 15 second frames. um, And depending on how many that they have, you know, we're probably consuming maybe three minutes of somebody's life every single day. But then you have to think about how many stories do you consume in like a 10 minute period? There's probably a lot. And so at that point, I then kind of realized that I'm, I'm like consuming other people's thoughts and opinions before I even have the chance in the moment to think about my own and think about like how I want to set the tone for my day. And so that kind of like that realization kind of woke me up and I was like, whoa, I'm already on edge. So why am I going to like further put myself in a bad situation? If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good point. And that's the whole, I think, idea behind too, like waking up and not getting straight to technology, like not picking up your phone and leaving it in the other room. And again, I feel like people kind of eye roll this with the lemon water, but it has such a powerful impact on your day, whether that's, you know, what you were saying about consuming content or just that stimulation that you don't need first thing in the morning, because from what I've learned 30 minutes after you wake up your cortisol and adrenaline, your stress hormones naturally elevate about 30 minutes after waking. And that's still like the primitive brain scanning for danger and threats and whatnot. So when you add Instagram emails, you know, maybe an email that's not really what you wanted to hear first thing in the morning or something that's already a problem. It just intensifies that. And then the rest of your day, I think it has just that ripple effect where the first person you come in contact with gets like the brunt of your emotional wake in that moment. And then that impacts how they relate to their coworker that day. And it's just this like spiral. So how did you kind of train yourself 
to move away from waking up in that like anxious state? Like, I know it's easy for us to say it and to read it, but how did you actually put that into practice? So it was after that realization that I knew I needed to do something different. And I know that when I post my morning routine, it's, it's pretty like lengthy. And if somebody is first getting into even creating a routine from the, for themselves and like what I do obviously isn't going to work for you or somebody else. Um, and maybe it does, and that's great. But I think what really helps is just taking it down to a very granular level and only implementing one thing you want to do mm -hmm. uh, that day. And so whether that be meditate or just to like get up on your first alarm and you just do that one thing and you repeat that for about a month mm -hmm. and then you slowly add on things like that. But for me, when I, I didn't really do it that way. I kind of just like overhauled my whole routine in the morning. And I was like, I'm going to do it this way. Don't really recommend that for okay. the longevity of the situation, but that's kind of how my brain works. And so I just knew that um, if I could start to control my mind and my emotions, that so many other things, beneficial things in my life would follow. And I'm like a very firm believer that the small, tiny, minute actions that you do every single day is kind of the sum of your greater life. And so I was like, let me implement some peacefulness <laughs> into my life first thing in the morning. Because yeah, like I said, when I wake up, I'm very reactive. Like I'm ready to go, go, go. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not fun living like that, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, so implementing this morning routine really like changed my life, but it was a very slow build. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I said I didn't overhaul, but um, I didn't like stick with those things for like the, for two weeks at a time or something. I would do like five things and then I would do them really well. And then by the weekend, you know, I would be over it. And so then from then I started peeling back the layers and start to like really try on different actions um, and see if it felt good to me. And if it didn't, then like, great, then we're done with it. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of like a trial and error situation. So yeah. I think yeah. I want to pull like a quote that you just said and like post it everywhere. It's <laughs> the small incremental things that you do on a daily basis that really make up your life. I think that's so important to reiterate. Like it is not coming up with a plan for the next year. It is literally, what are you going to do tomorrow morning when you wake up? Because if you can't master that, you're not going to do the eight other things. And something else you mentioned that I think is really important too, is don't, for most people, don't try to add in every single wellness tool that you've read about. Choose one, get consistent with it, and then add something else onto it. And be self-aware. If, like you said, you know what works for you and you just did an overhaul and it worked because that's how your brain works. Like, I think it's important to recognize that as well. But for most people, I think what you said is so, so important. It's not, I'm going to do cardio every single day and meditate and do breath work and journal and drink lemon water and go for a walk and listen to a podcast. Like you can't do all that tomorrow. So I think that is just so, so important. Like, and even if you do end up mastering all of those choose what works in that day. So tomorrow you may need to just do breath work and take a walk. Whereas on a Sunday morning, you may have time to do four other things that perhaps you couldn't do during the week. So I think knowing that that's not a failure too is important is like, you can't try to do everything all the time. It's like, what do you do consistently throughout the course of your days? That's really going to have an impact. Um, so let's talk about like the, the, the micro, like, what do you do when you wake up in the morning most days? 
Okay. So I have like two, like you said, um, when I'm, I have two different versions. So when I have all the time in the world, mm -hmm. there's one ideal version. And then when I'm like super stressed on time, there's another one. So I can just get into the super long one. And then yeah. I have well, you can tell us both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I'll do both, but I'll we love details. <laughs> so the longer one, um, is, so this kind of starts the night before. So I, set my phone on airplane mode around 8 30 p.m um or 9 9 p.m something like that and i put it it's not on the other side of the room like that would be ideal but it's not but it's on airplane mode and it's like on the very far corner of my nightstand and i just leave it there and then so when i wake up in the morning it's still on airplane mode and i leave it that way so i first wake up um and i I made like a very hard rule with myself was to not check social media or email or text messages first thing in the morning. And I also have my phone set on do not disturb from like a certain time frame. Um, and that has helped me tremendously with like workflow and just peace of mind and sanity. And that goes back to not being put in a reactive state first mm -hmm. thing in the morning or throughout your day. So it kind of starts with that as laying the groundwork. And then I will get up and then do warm lemon water. Um, and I just like that because I've struggled with digestion for the past like two decades, I wanna say, and that just really helps bring me back um, and ground myself first thing in the morning. And then the lemon obviously helps with bringing in that digestive fire, digestive juice mm -hmm. per se. Um, and I also like hydrating first thing in the morning because you wake up in such a dehydrated state. So I usually do, um, like 16 ounces of room temperature water because it's just on my nightstand from the night before. And then, so I drink that and then I'll do yeah warm lemon water. And then at that time is when I'll take my probiotic on an empty stomach and then I put my AirPods in and then I start getting ready to go on my morning walk. And then at that point, I'll turn my phone back on to just its normal state, um, but it's still in do not disturb. And then I will choose a podcast play that. And then my phone goes back into my jacket pocket and I don't look at it for the duration of my walk. And I have a great little mile and a half loop around my neighborhood that I do every morning and it's so peaceful. <laughs> and so then after I get home and do that, um, I usually meditate and sometimes I do it before the walk. And that's the, that's the thing. That's when I check in with myself and just see what I'm feeling in that moment. Sometimes I do it before, sometimes I do it after. And then after I get what meditation are you using? So I actually use Melissa Wood Health. Okay. And then I um, sometimes I use the Calm app as well. So okay. it kind of just depends on what I'm looking for. But sometimes I'll do the meditation on my walk before I listen to a podcast as well. It kind of just depends on how I'm feeling and what I'm in the mood for. And because sometimes I can't sit down for 20 minutes and just chill. Like my brain doesn't work like that sometimes. So you kind of just like fine tune these things to better work for you. Yeah. And so then after I get back from that, um, and, and I your get phone is still in do not disturb while you're out for your walk. Yeah. So yeah. my, phone, so my phone is set from, this might be a little <laughs> like intense for some people, but my phone is set from, um, on do not disturb from 5 PM until 11 AM every single day. And you can still check your, you can still like actively check your text messages. And that's the thing because like we're creators and stuff like that. And so like, I already have to check Instagram all the time. I don't need to be inundated with uh, notifications. And that's another thing too. I turned off all of my notifications except for email um, and text messages, obviously. But yeah, so like 
highly recommend doing that so you don't have to be constantly inundated by those things mm -hmm. so yeah phone still on do not disturb um then that's when i typically make a matcha <laughs> then my morning breakfast smoothie whatever i'm feeling like that morning and then after that's done i'll head back upstairs roll out my yoga mat and then i'll do some some form of movement usually that's pilates or yoga i do a lot of um low intensity movement but sometimes you know if i'm feeling like hit i'll do that and then after that i do i have like a set routine of physical therapy stretches i injured my back last may um and so i've been like very diligent on restoring that injury and so that has helped me tremendously after that's done i get ready and then i will journal and then go over my calendar and then usually my phone is off of do not disturb I love yeah. that. It's like a pretty lengthy routine, but yeah. it's, but it's probably what, two hours? It's, if I really take my time, it could be two hours. Oh, and I forgot to mention that somewhere in between there, I usually like to read a chapter of whatever book I'm reading just to, and sometimes I do that like while I'm still in bed, while I'm still kind of waking up. Yeah. Um, it just depends. I haven't been like very, obviously because of the trial, I have not been <laughs> reading in the morning. Um, but yeah, so I think I, I briefly timed it one time, like very loosely. And I think all of that, including like reading a chapter was like maybe an hour and a half. And I don't think that that's that much time to have by yourself. And I, and I truly believe that by you taking that time for you before you have to take care of your, your partner, your kid, your work or whatever, like you're not able to fully be there for those people in your life or those tasks in your life if you do not fill up your own cup as cheesy as that sounds sometimes yeah. but it's so true when you are already depleted there is no way that you are able to fully give yourself in that way that you need to yeah that's so true and yeah. I think you know I hear so many people say like oh I wish I had the luxury of that time and I'm like bitch please I have a full-time job a toddler a husband a side job and I work out every single day just get up earlier like Time is an illusion. Time is what you make it. And you have the time. You just need to reprioritize. So not to be harsh, but like you have the time, no matter what you have going on in your life. I get up. I, I like to set my alarm anywhere between 530 and 630, depending on what time I'm going to sleep that night, because I also prioritize sleep over the morning routine. So sometimes if I know I need to get at least seven hours, maybe I won't get up as early and I'll do my condensed version. But I think two hours, two and a half hours, no matter who you are, you can make that work. And in a 24 hour time period, it's not that much time, but it has so much beneficial value to the rest of your day and the rest of your life. I yeah. think it's fantastic. I love that. I'm going to implement some of those into my routine. I really like the do not disturb. I think mine is set from 9 p.m. to like 6 a.m. but I need to extend that <laughs> so it's so nice and like my I kind of realized this year um because I feel like the last like three or four years I've been like very honed into my morning routine and that's kind of like second nature to me but yeah. where I do fall short is my evening routine and I kind of realized that in the beginning of this year and I was like wait my morning routine is only as good as my night before. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I was like, okay, I need to start setting boundaries on technology and with myself. And yeah. so ideally, ideally I would be off of social media by way before eight 30. Sometimes that doesn't happen. I'm a human being. I am not perfect. Um, and 
but yeah, so that's where the do not disturb came in um, a lot earlier. And then I find that by like actually switching your phone into airplane mode, once I'm already in bed, like nestled in, that has helped just like the mental mind shift of like, okay, we're done for the night. We're done until the morning, you know? I love that. So what do you do for work? I think that's um, also an important thing to mention. People think about, well, you know, I have to get up early. I have to be in an office. Well, what does she do? Tell everybody what you do for a living. So I'm an international fashion model. Um, and then I've also been rooted in the health and wellness space for a little over a decade. So I have been recipe developing, working with different brands, shooting content um, of that nature and helping wellness consult and things like that. So I'm certified, I'm a certified holistic nutritionist, a certified uh, nutrition and wellness consultant and a certified aromatherapist. I feel like a certified oversharer at this point. <laughs> and um, I feel like I have done so many different things. Um, it's hard to kind of like put a label on it. So I yeah. love this. I love that you, I think there's, you know, I don't know if it's just me. There's this idea that like you're stunning. Your images are <laughs> stunning. Like I went down a rabbit hole, like, cause I have been obsessed with like high-end fashion my entire life. Like the Alexander McQueen show, Savage Beauty at the Met in New York, like has stuck with me forever. Like that just like changed my life. Like I obsess. I love it. I have read Vogue from cover to cover, like every advertisement, every credit, like everything. <laughs> so just looking at your images, just stunning. And my, my thought is it's effortless. Like it's, it must be effortless for you. Like you're so, you have such unique features and, you know, in the poses, obviously part of your job is to make it look effortless. Like, so health and wellness must come so easy to you, um, that you and I were chatting and like, that's obviously very unrealistic and not true at all. You're human and no one has it that easy. Right. So I love the fact that you, also have honed in so much on the internal, you know, you're paid, you make a living on the external, but you've put so much time and energy and effort into also, you know, getting in touch with the internal and internal wellness. And I'd love to know how those two things kind of intersected. Yeah. So to back it up a bit, um, I was not always like this. I was not always thinking about how I want to show up in the world and those sort of things. I'm much like you. I was super into fashion as a kid as well. And modeling was something that I could only dream about. And I didn't think it would be a reality for me just because of my height, five, seven. And so when the modeling industry was very, very different at that time, and um, I was so determined to make it happen. And um, so, yeah, I was not concerned with like well-being really even though I grew up in a very earthy environment and we did a lot of like earthy you know like we I grew up composting and things like that with my mom and my dad and like you know going to farmers markets and so like I had a lot of those wellnessy practices already um how it was how I already grew up but I never really thought about that when while I was growing up but now looking back it's kind of funny so yeah, I, I, with my traveling schedule, I was going between New York, LA and Tokyo wow. every three months for about a decade. 
get into modeling? How did that happen? Okay. So I got into model. So yeah, like I said, I never thought it would happen. I kind of created a plan B for myself. Um, since my parents were like, love you to death, you can do anything, but maybe think about something else that might be more realistic. And I was like, so then um, I like went down a different trajectory. And then when I was 18, I was in Japan because my dad lives in Japan. Um, He's full Japanese. I'm half Japanese. And so, and that's kind of how I grew up too. I grew up spending the summers and winters um, in Japan with my dad. And we go to international school there as well. So I'm, I got into modeling. I was basically, I got like a really great opportunity to sign with um, an agency in Japan and it was a top agency there. And I just couldn't give up that dream or opportunity. So I basically packed up my whole life in LA um, and put everything in a storage unit, (laughs) sold my car and I left and I moved to Japan um, to my dad's house. And I stayed there for my contract was for one year and it was grueling. It was insane. The modeling industry is nothing like how it works in the United States. It's kind of like top model ish vibes. You're put in, you're thrown into this like agency big car and you're jam packed with like nine or 10 different girls. Cause I was in the international division. So you're not allowed to go to castings by yourself. You are driven there by like a manager because they have to introduce you and all of these things. And so like you're in a foreign country too. And so you're, you know, you're like escorted into these situations and sometimes, you know, you don't have a casting when all the other people do so then but it's easier for you to just stay in the car or stay there so like you spend anywhere from like on a short day four hours and then on a long day 12 hours in this van jam-packed with like nine or ten girls <laughs> and it's just insane and I kind of grew up thinking in my career that that was super normal and so then I did that whole schedule for a year and it was a nightmare but I learned a lot and so when I came back to the states and started modeling here when I signed with my agency in LA um I, I just kind of just asked them like oh how does it work here and I like explained to them what I thought and they were like oh no sweetie like it's you you take yourself and I'm like oh okay cool that's so much easier so it was a huge it was a huge like learning curve for sure but yeah so I started in Japan and then I came back to the States after that, because I was kind of just mentally not in a great space. I was like really torn down. It was a very like dog eat dog world over there. It's kind of like model boot camp. I want to say like you are just thrown into the trenches, no safety net, and you are ready to go sort of thing. And so I needed to come back home to kind of regroup my thoughts. And then I moved back to LA and then started going on um go sees for different agencies there and then I ended up getting picked up by LA Models who is my um they were my first choice actually and they didn't know that at the time (laughs) and so um they offered me a contract the day that I went there for a meeting but it wasn't super easy either so because of my height and at that time, the industry was not as open as they are now. And so I just put on like an open call sheet, my name and my measurements. And then I was in a room full of all of these other people also auditioning to try and get um, a meeting. And the receptionist was like, who's Alexandria? And I was like, me. And she was like, yeah, and you're 5'7". And I'm like, yeah. And like, she said that out loud in front of everybody, which I'm already like insecure about my height in this industry, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, okay, you got to go. And I'm like, what? 
And she was like, yeah, I'm sorry, you got to go. You're too short. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so then I, I started to like, um, kind of pack up my stuff a little bit. And then I went to talk to her really briefly. Cause I was like, I'm from a really, you know, good agency in Japan and blah, blah, blah. And she was not having it. And I was like, okay, like that's totally fair. And so as I was on my way out, my soon to be, um, agent was like, wait, 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 who's Alexandria? Come back, come back. So she pulled me back and all of these people are still watching. I was like, my face was so red. <laughs> my face was so red I was like so embarrassed like about to be in tears from just like you know just having so much anxiety leading up to this moment she pulled me back in she put me in this tiny little glass conference room so it was like just a glass encased like room and I didn't want to be on my phone because I didn't want to look unprofessional or anything and I think I was like 20 when all of this was happening and um she disappeared for what felt like eternity. It was probably like five to 10 minutes. And then I went back there. She had my book and was distributing it to um, the other staff at the agency. And she came back in and she was like, great. So I want to introduce you to everybody. And when can you sign? And I'm like, what? I'm so confused. What is going on? I went from like being almost being booted out to now asking, you know? And so it was a crazy, I don't know, like 30 minutes interaction <laughs> and so I um was really excited and I still had a few other appointments to see but I knew in the back of my mind that they were the people I wanted to be with and I still have them to this day and so it's a really funny story that me and my agents like always talk about because <laughs> some of them are unaware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like some of them are unaware that that even happened you know and they were like oh my gosh that's so right like that did happen that's so crazy and I'm like yeah I got so lucky <laughs> that that one person at that one time heard that conversation and swooped in and intervened so Amazing. It was crazy. And you've yeah. been doing, so you've been modeling for how long now? So for about 12 years, I want to say. Yeah. I is, like, what does your schedule look like? Is it like you're on for three months and then you have like a couple weeks off? Like, or is it consistent? Like, what does that look like? So there's absolutely no consistency. <laughs> and so I think that's why creating some sort of routine was so, um, imperative that I did that but yeah there's absolutely no consistency basically how it works is you will get an email a few, if you're lucky maybe 48 hours in advance um, usually 24 hours in advance sometimes five hours in advance and it, as you know if you have a casting you have they hopefully will send it to you in advance but sometimes it just happens so quickly that you get a call and then you just have to be at the location with like you know like however you need to look so they usually give you the details in the email of like what you need to wear like what the vibe is etc and then you can kind of like plan going forward but no there's no consistency at all and then if I'm traveling usually my agents at different agencies will kind of coordinate with them and then I kind of I would just travel I would go to each different city during their busy seasons mm -hmm. and so I would kind of just like change in that way so. so could you potentially be getting on a flight within that 48 40 hour like window? Yes. They could say, we need you in New York or we need you. Would you even in like Tokyo yeah. or Paris or something like yeah. it could be anywhere. Yes, it could be anywhere. In fact, one time, and this always happens whenever I'm scheduled to like leave a place is when I swear the universe is like, oh, I have a different plan for you. And like one time I was leaving New York to come back home to Seattle. And I think it was like during the holidays or something. And I'm, um, I 
was scheduled to leave the next morning, got a phone call at like 2 p.m. from my agents in New York, and I was already in New York, and they were like, hey, um, Nordstrom and Refinery29 want to do a shoot, and it's going to be in two days, but you're already supposed to leave. Will you go to the casting? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And so I go to the casting, and like in my industry, you hear no more than you'll ever hear, I guess. It's like 90 to 95% amount of no's. <laughs> and so when I go to these castings, I'm not like super optimistic about a lot of them. Like I don't bring like a bad energy in there, but I'm not like sitting here pining over like, oh my gosh, my whole life is going to change from this one booking. Like it just doesn't work that way. And so I go to these things, do the best that I can do at that time. And then kind of expect like nothing to really happen. Cause there's so many people to circulate through. And so I'm, um, I ended up booking that thing. And so I had to like re reroute my entire flight situation. And it was like, it always happens like that. I feel like whenever you have a set date to leave, yeah. <laughs> it always happens. <laughs> how did you learn how to not internalize what some may perceive as rejection? Like you have a good perspective on that where you're like, it's just a numbers game. Like a bunch of people show up and either you fit the vibe that they're looking for, or you don't, and it's not personal. How did you, was that always something that you were able to do or did you have to kind of cultivate that? Cause I think that that can extend to so many other, you know, professions and areas of life that people could really learn from. Yeah. So I definitely had to cultivate that. That is not something that I was like naturally born or gifted with feeling. I'm a person that when I was a lot younger, I, I needed a lot of external validation to make myself feel like I was like worthy enough, unfortunately. And that's not to say I had a bad childhood by any means. I, um, my parents were always, you know, like sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want. And like, unfortunately I didn't care about whatever they had to say. I cared so much more about the other people around me, unfortunately. And so when I got into this industry, I knew that like that could kind of be problematic because, you know, you're not that special when you're in yeah. a room full of like, you know, 200 other people that kind of look like you or yeah. also have these like unique things about them. And so once I like kind of got a grip on that and I, I like, really started to understand that when I was in Japan, because we, the, the sheer amount of volume of castings we were going to, like I was seeing some of the best of the best girls get rejected. And so I was like, okay, so it's clearly not about like your beauty. It's clearly not about um, your body shape or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And so I was like, so what is happening? And so I kind of just like peeled it back. And then I think just over the years, it got, it started to get ingrained into my mind. Um, so it was a very slow build sort of thing. But what I came to realize is that we are just as sad as the sounds models are just products. Um, and so they already casting directors already have kind of a rough idea of what they're looking for. Um, and so if you don't fit the bill for that, it's not because you're not good enough. It's because you're not what they've already kind of predetermined in their head for that time in that product. So once you kind of boil it down to that, it's, it's kind of stupid to like be upset about not yeah. getting anything. Cause like, in my opinion, once you're signed with a reputable agency, you've already like kind of done it you know? Right. So who cares if you don't book the latest, like whatever campaign, you know yeah. what I mean? There's going to be so many other campaigns to come. And like, if not, then if not, but like, yeah. I think that every model should understand that they're already special enough um, because they're already signed. And so in my mind, that should be validation enough. 
but yeah, it was not a natural thing. I think it was just something that got ingrained in my mind as the years progressed. That's, I mean, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you were able to get that perspective. Um, are you doing print or do you do runway? So because of my height, runway was like never really an option, but I have had a few unique situations. So when I got signed in New York, it was like 2015, I think is when I moved from LA to New York. And my agents there were like, Ooh, we're sending you there, but like, don't get your hopes up sort of thing. And they told me that the night before I was flying out of LAX to JFK. And I'm like, why would you set me up on all of these meetings? If like, you're not that confident. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so, and like the months leading up to this plan, they were like, yeah, it was a great idea. And like, you know, hearing that, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? And so I flew into JFK on a red eye, like got there, you know, in the morning. And then I like opened my phone and I had a slurry of emails. So I was like, cool. Okay. Like, we'll see what happens. And so, um, wait, I'm so sorry. I missed the question. <laughs> what were you asking? I was just curious, and these are more like selfish questions because I'm just so curious okay. about the industry, but if you were doing runway or print or oh, both, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. there were some unique instances. Yeah. So, yeah. so then when I, so then I went to New York, um, got signed and that yeah, it was kind of the same situation. I like went on a go see, like, I think I had like seven different meetings um, that day or like that week I was there and then found the agency I was kind of looking for. And then they also offered me a contract like the oh. first time I went in there, which I, I don't think that's like a super normal situation, but um, it's what happened to me in LA. And so I thought it was kind of interesting that happened to me in New York. Um, and I was already like very nervous about my height. And so they signed me. I really love them. They, it, they felt like a family, like right away to me. So, and that's how my agency in LA feels. And I, feel if there's any models out there or anybody that wants to be like signed you need to go with your gut and what feels like a family in my opinion because these people will, will like they need to have your back okay. <laughs> um and so from that they were always very welcoming um and I got connected with a few different designers who ended up like really believing in me and that meant a lot. And so because of that, I was able to be put in New York Fashion Week from these designers. And so that was a huge moment. Um, I think that was in like 2016, I wanna say. And I like, that was like ultimate dream come true. Like any model wants to go to New York, I was gonna be happy enough to sign with any agency in New York. But then on top of that to be put in New York Fashion Week was huge, but no, that's, runway is not something that I typically do, but because um, height is like something that is becoming a little bit more accepting, especially because five, seven, you're not like that short in my opinion. And I photograph a lot taller yeah. um, than five, seven. And so it'd be different if I was like five, one, it would be like a very big reach, <laughs> but it's already, you know, like I was already on, it was, it was fine. Um, but I typically do a lot of print and a lot of editorial work. Um, I don't do a lot of e-com because I don't really think like that's what I've been like my look per se. But um, yeah, it's a lot of print, a lot of editorial. And then like, if I'm very lucky, some, some sprinkles of New York Fashion Week. <laughs> Who did you wear at New York Fashion Week? Her name is Jasmine Chong and she is, um, she's awesome. She is an Asian American designer and um she yeah I can't say great enough things she produces all of her own stuff and all of her stuff is so um 
classic and elevated and I just love her fabrics and textures that she uses so awesome I'll have to look her up I yeah. could literally sit here and ask you questions for hours <laughs> um but we'll go we'll pivot more to like the well so how did you you have this career you have this modeling career you're getting signed by agents in LA and New York that's amazing like what was the kind of catalyst to pivot into content creation and recipe development and all the certifications that you got in, in the wellness arena? How did that come into play? So um, as I was modeling full-time, I kind of, you know, like I was starting to get a little bit burnt out of the whole situation and like my traveling schedule and nomadic lifestyle really started to take like a huge hit on my mental well-being. And um, it's fun for like, the first year I want to say, but when you're like constantly living out of two suitcases and cycling through your stuff, you know, it's, it's I don't know. It's not like, it's, it's not it for me <laughs> for the long haul. Um, and so I was starting to get like really just kind of down and sad and anxious all the time. And I was like, I need to do something else mm -hmm. for sure. Um, while I'm also doing this. So, and at that same time, my health started to really like go on a downward trajectory because I had no balance in my life at that time. I had nothing holding me um, really to anything. Like I didn't, I felt, I didn't like really have like that much of a purpose, like, because I already, I attached my identity so much with being a model that when I already got it, you know, you're kind of like, well, now what, you know what I mean? And so you're kind of chasing that, like now what? And because I already like, tackled my biggest goal um I was kind of like done writing that high essentially and so I was like I need to do I want to shift into something else and I was always interested in like you know natural living and like you know that sort of that sort of like arena so I thought it would be a good time to like kind of pivot a little bit and I started getting really into food because I was um I, I like came to have like 96 different food intolerances, which was insane. And that was due to struggling with an eating disorder. And so um, for, I don't, yeah, a lot of people in my life don't know this, only like my immediate family and like a few of my core friends, but from, it was about like a 17 year long battle, I should say. And um, it started when I was a really young kid and wasn't something that clearly, or that I fully got over until a few years ago. But because of all of that, um, I really knew that it was time for me to like figure something else out and to like finally get a hold of my health because I was having so many problems in my life from keeping the secret alive um, and kind of being like this different person. There was a lot of duality in my life. I would be one person for or yeah, I'd be one version of myself for one person and then like copy and paste for a different per person sort of say. And so because of that, I didn't really have an opportunity or I didn't create an opportunity for myself to get to know myself and get to know what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be and how I wanted to show up in this world. I was just so entrenched in this one identity of like making my dreams come true and how I coped with my anxiety and a lot of my insecurities was through an eating disorder, um, which I think is very common to do. And that was just, unfortunately, those were the tools that I had at that time. But as I was starting to deteriorate from that, um, I 
and you know, like I've been to, I was forced into treatment at like, you know, in high school and things like that. And like, none of it helped obviously because I didn't want to change. It never came from me choosing that for myself. It was always, you know, my parents forcing me into the situation or, you know, um, something would happen health wise and then I would be forced into a different situation. And so after I came out of all of that, um, I was fine for a little bit. And then, um, my body was just kind of like done. (laughs) And so I think it was like maybe like year 14, then like I started to really notice that like my body was very much like F you, I don't want to do this anymore. But at that point, it was such a primal thing, unfortunately. And though I've never experienced coming off of heroin, it's kind of like what I imagine that to be like, is like, when you're that physically dependent on something is how that was for me. But I'm So yeah, so my body started to like really deteriorate. I would drink maybe like four ounces of water and then my stomach would like balloon up and I would look like seven months pregnant, which is insane. And so that kind of perpetuated the cycle to continue because I was still working as a model full time. And so I was trying to like cultivate a different sense of well-being for myself while still having to work and support myself. And and trying to like kind of self-regulate and get better. But then my body was like, no, we're done sort of thing. And so I was like, well, what am I going to do? It's Friday night. I want to like be hydrated and be a normal person, obviously, and drink water. And then I would look insane, like just so swollen. And I was in so much pain. I was like doubled over, just like it was a hot mess. Um, and so then unfortunately by the weekend, I was like, I can't look like this anymore. And so the cycle would have to repeat itself. And so I was kind of stuck in that hellhole of a cycle for a few more years before I decided that like kind of enough is enough. And like what really changed a lot for me was I needed to go back home to take care of my mom because I didn't mention this, but my mom, she was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a fatal lung disease that really affects the, your entire body, but mainly your pancreas and your liver and your kidneys and that sort of stuff. And she wasn't supposed to like live very long um, when I was a kid. And so I always kind of lived in this limbo of like not knowing if my mom was going to die or not, which sounds like super heavy, but it was very, it was very normal for me. Like I grew up knowing that as a young kid and I understood that. And so my parents then um, kind of raised me to be, to make sure that I would be very self-sufficient from a very young age. And they wanted to make sure that if she were to pass, then I would be like good to go. And essentially that's what happened. Like I grew up very quickly and I don't blame them for that or anything. Like that was, that was just the situation of how it was. And then I'm all, also an only child. And then my dad lives, he moved back to Japan when I was six years old to like build his business and to go back to doing what he wanted to do. And so, you know, I was like a product of divorce from a young age, which I was totally fine with because that's what I was born into almost. And then knowing that my mom had this like fatal disease and then my dad being on the other side of the world. And then, so I would have to split my time, you know, like summers and winters, as I mentioned to you, um, going back and forth. And so it was just, it was a lot. And because of that, I do kind of feel like I didn't really have a chance to be a kid in that way. And I think that like, I had a lot of anxiety from that time in my life, but I didn't, I didn't know what that was. Like, 
I grew up in the early nineties. Like we did not like the way people talk about mental health now was not a thing back then. Like, I think I had like severe social anxiety as a kid, but I never knew it. I just thought I was like, I was like, why am I feeling weird inside? But nobody talks about it sort of thing. And now, you know, like everybody like throws around, like I have anxiety, I have depression. This is triggering me. Like that was never like, that was never a topic of conversation when I was growing up. And so I kind of just, you know, didn't really understand a lot of my own emotions. I didn't know how to hold space for that. And so because of that, um, I resorted to these external behaviors um, to cope with that. And so, yeah, so I came home to go <laughs> to further backtrack. I came home from New York um, knowing that I was going to have to take care of my mom. Um, and then I was, that's simultaneously when my body was like really rebelling against me. And so I already spoke with my agencies and they already knew the situation with my mom. And so I took, I took that time to like really, try and re-regulate my body and like start to get help with different doctors and set up a care team and stuff like that. And so that's when I had a lot of downtime and because I was um, so intolerant to like 96 different ingredients, it, it like forced me to have to make everything from scratch. And there was a time when I was only eating like blended foods and soups because that's all I could, you know, cause blending obviously pre-digest it for you. And so because of that, I was like, I might as well just start taking photos of this because I have nothing better to do with my time. And so from that, I like, you know, started kind of diving into the content creator, like very lightly, you know, that realm very lightly. And um, I started playing around with food styling and like, it was, it was awful <laughs> back then. Like I was like, this is atrocious. Why would I, this, nobody cares. This is so weird. And I was like kind of posting it on my Instagram and it was like a very big difference in content. It was like going from like super editorial model stuff to like, like All of mush. very, very low budget, like, smoothies and blended soups like I just I was like whatever this is what I'm doing you know and so I kind of like weaved it into like what I do now but it's very funny like when I think back about like how all of this started but it was out of necessity and um I just wasn't ready to share what I was going through at that time obviously but that kind of prompted me to like go on this little healing journey that has taken like five years now so amazing I first want to thank you for sharing because I'm sure it's not easy to talk about something that like you were saying in the nineties, early two thousands, we didn't really talk about much. And I think part of that is problem. There's shame around eating disorders and the stigma that comes with that. But even going back further, I think it's important to point out something that you've said maybe indirectly is that an eating disorder isn't always about weight and what you look like, but oftentimes a means of control, whether it's managing and controlling your feelings or your situation or uncertainty, you know, with your family. And would you agree with that? That, you know, I think some people misunderstand that it's not about vanity all the time. Yeah, totally. So mine was, mine was a little bit of both. I want to, I do want to say I'm, I was also massively bullied as a kid. You know, I grew up in the city of Seattle. And then when I was in fifth grade, we moved to what we call the East side, but it's, um, it's just, it's across the lake. So it's like a, it's a suburb of Seattle. Um, still like very nice 
neighborhoods, very like if I would, I feel like it's almost like, it's kind of like in terms of LA, it's kind of like the more like Beverly Hills area versus like being in like downtown LA sort of sort of thing, both have its like good points and bad points. But so moving there was like a huge difference. And I was always a city kid. So I was like, I don't want to do that, you know? And so then when we got there, I was also so much taller than any of the other boys in my class, because obviously girls, you know, usually their growth spurts begin to happen so much faster than boys do. And so at that time, you know, like one of the most, I'll never forget this, but one of the most like popular kids at school, he, you know, I was in fifth grade and he was in fifth grade, but he was like, oh, you're so tall. You must've been held back, you know? And then, you know, and then people would be like, oh, your name is Alex. Um, even though it's Alexandria, but like, they would just use a shorthand and they're like, oh, that's a boy's name. And like, it was just small little nuanced things like that. And then when I got to junior high and high school, for some reason that I still don't understand to this day. And my mom was in the PTA as well. So she would hear these stories from these moms, but like so many kids would like make up stories about me and my family because I was going to Japan and doing all these like different things. Um, There was a lot of lies that were like thrown in there about my life. Like I remember one time I invited somebody to my parents' house, which I didn't really do. I'm a very private person and I always grew up that way. And they were like, Oh, I already know where you live. And I'm like, no, you don't. Nobody knows where I live. And then they were like, yeah, you live in that house with like a huge gated entry in this like, like water sculpture thing. And I'm like, what? No, I don't. And they're, you know, like it was just stupid shit like that. And I'm like, why does, why, why do people say that? It makes no sense. And then I didn't look like the stereotypical like girl next door, you know, like I got my period when I was 10 and I started growing hips and boobs a lot earlier um, in my, you know, young, I'm, I wasn't even a teenager, I was 10. And so I was like, kind of already like being hypersexualized at that age, when a lot of my peers just looked like little stick figures, <laughs> you know, who yeah. haven't gone through puberty yet. And so I feel like when you when you're the one of the first people in your class or your peer group to go through that, you're obviously a target because kids are assholes. And like, I don't, think, I don't think any of the people that like said those comments to me probably even remember, you know, yeah. but it kind of starts like that. And I'm not going to sit here and say that, like, because of them, I had an eating disorder or anything, but it helped build this like layered complexity of an issue. And, um, you know, I would get like teased because I was like half Japanese, which is like not, you know, it's like, it's, it's fucked up. <laughs> and, you know, my last name is Yamazaki. And like, you know, kids would be like, oh, it's Yamaha or Suzuki instead. And like thinking it's so funny. And I'm like, it actually sounds nothing like that, but sure. Okay. And then, you know, I like would get I got spit on one time um, in the hallways when I was in high school. And that was because I was like hanging out with when I was a sophomore, like a lot of my friends were seniors because I always gravitated to- towards like older people. And I think that's because I was forced to grow up rather quickly as a kid. So I didn't really like fit in with a lot of my peers that were my age. And so a lot of my friends were like a few years older than me. And so I I don't even, yeah, when that happened to me, I was like appalled and I was so like, I'm so done with school. I don't want to be here anymore. Um, you know, and I was always teased. And so I think when you're bullied and teased like that constantly, um, that obviously starts to like wear on your mental yeah. health, you know, and I didn't even know anything about that back then. And then from a young age too, 
like my, not by my mom, my stepdad, but by other people in my um, immediate family, like my outward perception was very important to them. So, or like, yeah, in their world, they thought it was. And so like weight was being mentioned when I was a young girl, like I was six years old when I was first made aware of my weight and, you know, so like small little micro aggressions, if you will say, you know, were happening to me. And like, they started, they continue to build and build and build. And so then I was like, well, F this, I want to be, you know, this way. So then I'll be left alone. So it kind of became this protection mechanism too, because I thought I was going back to the control thing. You think that you're in control when you're, when you're engaging in these sort of like negative behaviors, you know, like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to control what I eat that day because that's usually food is like the easiest thing that you can control in your life you don't have you're not in control of what other people do say what happens at school or whatever so like I think the reason why food is often used is because it's like literally the easiest tool that you can possibly have some sort of minute control over so it was kind of like a combination of all of those things but yeah it wasn't it wasn't just like vanity's sake though you know, like being a product of the early nineties, like helps, right? Yeah. yeah. Our pop culture was very different back then yeah. than it is now. So like it was being perpetuated in the media as well. So that was kind of like, and then wanting to be in fashion, obviously too. So I had this like glamorous idea and then having all these microaggressions happen, yeah. kind of just like, it was kind of like a perfect build of a yeah. storm. Happen. What would you say to your younger self or anyone who's maybe at that precipice where there is that perfect storm that could end up manifesting in that way. What would you say to that person having gone through such a a hard recovery and being on the other side now? I think this is twofold for me. The first thing that I would want to say to myself or anybody at that point is that you don't have anything to prove to anybody else. I'm literally what, like, it doesn't matter what other people think, which is such a hard thing to understand at that time when you're in that position. Um, I still have to remind myself about that every single day. And then the second part is that though you are not um, in control of what happens to you in your life, like your life is 100% your responsibility. And so you have the ability to choose how you want to show up and how you choose to react to certain situations. And so those two things are what I think, what I would have like wanted to hear at that point. I don't know if, I don't think it would have helped honestly, (laughs) but looking back, like knowing that I have the choice to choose differently to situations is very empowering. And then folding that in with, I'm just not letting other people's opinions, like take a hold of you like that, you know? And so it's just, it's, it's like, it's very sad that all of those things that happened, you know, came out this way, but I'm like, at the same time, I don't regret any of it because I wouldn't be in this position that I am now. So. Yeah. I mean, wow. What a journey and just such courage and strength in continuing to work through that. And now, you know, on a lighter note, you have this amazing (laughs) content and you have your career in you know, fashion and 
you're able to share all of your learnings, you know, through the foods that you're creating and nourishing your body. Um, what are some of your favorite meals to make? Like, what are some things that you incorporate regularly that you find to be really nourishing and healing to your body? So I really like to focus. Um, I'm not a hundred percent plant-based, but I really resonate with like a 90 to 10. Mm-hmm. So 90%, um, whole foods, plant-based lifestyle is like what I really resonate with. Um, and so some, I don't know, it kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for, but I always try and include some sort of leafy green, some sort of cruciferous vegetable, some sort of legume and some sort of whole grain into, and fruit obviously into like, that doesn't obviously have to be in one meal, but like throughout the day, somewhere in there. And so I kind of work off of those pillars and then create meals based off of those pillars, if that makes sense. So sometimes I'm in the mood, like I, as cliche as this sounds, I love a good salad. People make fun of me for this. (laughs) And they're like, that's so big and satisfying. (laughs) Like I want you to make them for me every day. No. And so I remember like back in the day I did an interview and, um, they were like, what's one of your favorite foods? And I was like, I love salads. And they're like, that's the most modely thing I've ever heard anybody's. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, wait, but hear me out. So like, it's not just like a side salad little situation, you know, like I, I just, I just recipe tested this one, um, salad and it has like 15 different ingredients in it. And that doesn't even include the dressing, you know? And so I, I just like to jam pack a bunch of stuff in there. So like, I love to obviously incorporate a protein and some sort of whole grain carb situation in there. Cause I feel like you, I need that personally to like really balance everything out. Um, but it, it really just depends on what I'm in the mood for that day. And that is such a beautiful thing to be able to say and to feel because like it like I said it it used to not be like that like I food stressed me out so much and now that I've gone through this like metamorphosis and like going back to school and you know doing all these things like it's just I feel so lucky and grateful to be able to be surrounded by such like vibrant plants and so plant-based living like really just inspires me because there's so much versatility of what you can do, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you can now appreciate that freedom to eat what you want to eat based on desire rather than, you know, restricting and control. They look amazing. Where can everyone find your recipes? Because I need to now go down that rabbit hole. (laughs) So I have a website. So it's just my first and my last name, alexandriayamazaki.com. Um, and I, it's just on the blog section. I have it on in my Instagram too, which is just my first and my last name, Alexandria Yamazaki. And I am actually working on my first digital cookbook. So I've been doing a lot of like, not, it's not secretive, but like been doing a lot of recipe development for that, that I will not be sharing obviously to those my website and my Instagram uh, because I need to keep those separate but yeah so I've been doing a lot of that so I'm hoping that that will launch by the end of the year oh exciting I can't wait yeah so I've been very excited about that um but yeah usually my website and my Instagram is where you can find everything cool I'll link that in the show notes as well so everybody can find that easily I'm excited for the cookbook I can't wait at the end of the year I'm like oh no no like I want to like the end of the month (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, end of the year, like I'm, I'm thinking, I don't want to like, maybe if I say this out loud, then it will 
it will, it will force me to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I would love to launch it um, by my birthday, which is September 15th. So I'm hoping that it can be, so it's not like completely at the end of the year, but yeah. it's early fall is when I would like to be done with this. And so, okay. yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm going to make a grocery list today based on your website. And then you're going to have to let me know as soon as that ebook launches. <laughs> That's very cool. I like that you found something that nourishes you mentally and physically, you know, outside of your career. I think that's really important for people to have outside interests and not just identify with one area of life. Definitely. It's very cool. A couple rapid fire questions before we go. What's your favorite book? Oh my gosh. I have so many, but a few that like really stick out to me is the artist's way by Julia Cameron. I don't know if you've ever done that or heard it's about on my list. Yeah. So it's, it's really good. That book, I read it last, it's probably not going to be super rapid fire, <laughs> but uh, that book really, I did it, um, the end of 2020, I want to say when like everybody's world was obviously turned upside down yeah. and um, that book was recommended to me by so many people and I was finally like okay I'm in a place where I can do it so basically this woman um, she taught a bunch of or she would teach a bunch of like actors I think like back in the 90s these like and doing like these workshops on how to get like more creativity and how to get out of creative ruts and things like that but basically it's like a three I think it's a three-month program where you have to commit to writing morning pages every single day and you can literally just journal I hate doing this for three pages if you want you know yeah. she doesn't care but like it's doing that and then a few she has a few tasks that you do like within that week I think and so that book kind of changed I'm not going to say it changed my life, but it changed my perspective on a lot of things and helped me get clear on a lot of things. And that's what prompted me to take a huge social media hiatus, like a few, a few years ago. Um, and then another one that I have been loving is journey to the heart by Melody Beatty. Yeah. Um, and that's basically just a passage a day. So it's really easy. And I usually do that like right after I meditate. So that's how you can get like one of your micro habits of reading in. <laughs> yeah. I think um, the artist's way, I think the author actually was a, gave a, a, a lecture yes. um, at IIN. Did you graduate from IIN as well? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, did. she came on and did one of the, um, one of the talks that was a part of the modules when I was attending. Oh, awesome. That's where I knew I knew of that book and I had written it down and I, it just came to me when you were talking. So now I need to bump that up to the top of the list. So good. Yeah. You just need a little bit of time. Like I gave it to my mom for Christmas cause she was super like, she wanted to do it cause I kept telling her about it. Um, and then she got into it for a little bit, but like, you need to be in a good headspace where you can set aside like a few months to do that. But I feel like that would pair well with doing what you're doing right now with the 75 hard challenge. So definitely, definitely. I'll add that to my morning routine. Um, cool. I love those recommendations. What is your favorite food? I know we said salad. <laughs> well, because I am half Japanese, I think I would be remiss to say that um, sushi is for sure one of my favorite, favorite foods, whether that be like fish or vegetables. I think like you can get very creative with veggie rolls too. So I've been having a lot of fun doing that, which will also be in my digital cookbook. So I'm excited for that too. But yeah, salads, sushi, Vietnamese food like I, I'm like a huge lover of like bold flavors yeah so, yeah oh, good even better for your book yeah. what um what's your favorite sushi in LA do you have one uh I mean like it has to probably be Nobu <laughs> yeah 
yeah they're great but if you if you want to do obviously something way more low-key then Kazunori is like one of my favorites and whenever I'm in LA or New York because I they built the location in New York like a little bit after their LA one but um it's so good if you haven't been it's haven't hand rolls only and I believe they're like the sister company to Sugarfish I want to say I'm totally wrong but um yeah Kazunori is hand rolls only they have one in downtown LA um, and it, they are incredible. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. I have been, I don't know when this happened, but it used to be like, I could go to Nobu when I wanted. Now you cannot get a reservation. I oh. tried to go for my birthday and I can't, they're like, you have to call at 10 AM exactly 30 days before you want the reservation. Serious? <laughs> I just got really lucky because being in the fashion industry and entertainment in LA, like we were just always invited to go to these yeah. things. I got like really, yeah, super lucky back then. It's not That's like that. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. The perks. Yeah. I, I live for their spicy tuna crispy rice. It's See, and, their, and their lychee martinis. Oh, perfection. They're Especially so good. The ocean view when you're at Nobu and Malibu. I mean, oh. I used to go to Nobu in New York all the time. And then I would go to Nobu or yeah, Nobu next door because you could get in quicker and eat and drink more quickly because there wasn't such a wait. <laughs> oh those are the good days um what are three things that you would take to a deserted island oh my god so I'm like an overpacker in every sense this is so difficult but basically I would probably die without a high-speed blender (laughs) matcha and then uh, sunscreen for sure those are my three things yeah I I had food and like water obviously but You can eat the plants off the land, (laughs) blend them up in your blender. I love that. This was so lovely. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing and being vulnerable and giving us insight into your life. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I feel like we could have talked for another hour Um, (laughs) maybe we'll do a part two, Um, but I really, this was great. I think there's just so many takeaways um, and I hope that, you know, our listeners choose one thing to implement today or tomorrow and go from there. And I hope that they go find your website and your recipes and, and get into some of those delicious foods, because I know I am going to. <laughs> Yay. Well, you, you'll have to let me know which ones you like. I need all the feedback that I can personally get right yeah. now. Yeah, definitely. And um, I'm going to need to get some Seattle recommendations when we finally make the trip up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Please let me know whenever you come. I would love to meet up. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. You too.